Well, good morning, Christ Hold Fast, and friends, it is Tuesday, which means that it is time for us to continue our look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have been just sort of, uh, I wouldn't say slowly plotting our way through the book, but we are taking our time digging into all the, all the texts and making sure that we get as much out of it as we can. Uh, today, we're coming on the heels of probably the most famous passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where Paul uh, really explains that, I mean, in very, very clear detail, that God is solely responsible for all of our salvation. I mean, from start to finish, because we're dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to make ourselves alive, unable to fix ourselves but God, there's that famous set of two words in verse four, but God by his grace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, makes us alive through Christ, raised us from the dead. And so uh, wonderful, wonderful passage. Now we sort of get into the results of all that. Um, I see some people are saying hello by the, uh, let me say hello, Bonnie, Rainey, Akut, uh, Brian, it looks like you're there. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning all. If I don't, uh, mention you. It's just because I can't really see you on this particular computer. I'm on a little bit of a different setup today than normal. So let me go ahead and read the passage from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22 that really talks about uh, how it is, what the results are of God's saving us the way he does, that now he is making really a new people because of what he has provided. So it says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, that was sort of their nickname uh, by the, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God or for God by the Spirit. End of reading. Well, I want to um, just start off by talking a little bit about something that we probably are familiar with, something that we probably know or that we think we know anyway, and that is the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, especially back then. I think all of us are pretty familiar 
with the reality that Jews and Gentiles didn't get along very well. But I want to share with you from William Barclay, um, researcher of the ancient world from yesteryear, not so long ago. He tells us a little bit about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles that might, might spell out a little bit more just how much contempt there was. For example, the, the Gentiles were said by the Jews to be created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. That was the whole purpose of their existence. God said that they, that God only loved the nation of Israel and none of the other nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Uh, until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. So that gives you a little bit of the history. On top of that, when you went to the temple, well, you know, Paul mentions the dividing wall of hostility. Quite literally, there was a dividing wall in the temple that made it very, very clear that Gentiles were to stay completely and utterly separate from everything that the Jews did. So even if a Gentile, say, was interested in becoming a Jew, he really was never treated as part of the family. I mean, he was very, very, very much separate. And the grand theme of this passage in Ephesians 2 basically spells out how it is that God could possibly bring these warring enemy factions together. These people that had historically hated each other's guts, especially from Jew to Gentile, all of a sudden now are worshiping together and are calling themselves one body, the church. And Paul does this by spelling out, I, I would say, three phases. He first says, First points out at what uh, at one time what the Gentiles were. You can find that in verses 11 through 12. Then he moves on in verse 13 to what they are now, but now, verses 13 through 18. And then verses 19 through 22 is really, uh, so then. I don't know if you can see that structure there, but that's really the pattern that we're going to follow as we, as we dig into this. So what does Paul say the Gentiles at one time were? Well, at one time they were separated from Christ. You find that in really verse 12 there. If we remember what Paul wrote in the first chapter about all the blessings that were in Christ, we know how significant this separation is. Because in Christ we're chosen and we're therefore seen as holy and blameless. We are adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're recipients of his inheritance, his glorious inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the list goes on and on. And they're separated from all that. Number two, they're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. The point Paul seeks to make here is that they were not part of God's people. They weren't considered part of his family. They were strangers to the covenants. They had no promise from God, like the Jews had. I mean, the, the Jews had promises from God that he would do certain things for them. They had none of that. All throughout Jewish history, there was this idea that the true God would, at least one day, come to fix this mess. In contrast, Gentiles have no hope 
This speaks to no sense of a future plan. That's what Paul says here. They were without God in the world, aimless, running after their own passions, and without any real guidance or care. They may have had gods that they said they worshipped, but we know that those weren't really gods. And so essentially Paul is saying, you were functionally like atheists. You were just playing guesswork by some idols' uh, teachings that were made up by men. And this resulted in hostility. The Jews saw the Gentile worship practices and the Gentile culture and wanted none of it. It, it, Although, if you look throughout (laughs) the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people, there was sort of a love-hate thing there, right? I mean, they despised the practices, and yet they were constantly tempted to run after them because there was pleasure there, and there was sexual gratification, and there was all sorts of other things. And so even as they, even as the religious leaders hate the Gentiles, um, there's a sense in which they're constantly drawn and they're constantly falling uh, to their worship practices. So that's what they were. They were separated, alienated, all those other things. But now, through Christ, verses 13 through 18, they have been brought near. That is... They have been given intimacy with God, now as their father. How did he do it? By placing them in him and through his blood. That is, by his death on the cross, he pays for all our sins, Jew and Gentile alike, and thereby unites those who believe, both Jew and Gentile, to himself. This unity with him, then, is expressed by unity with one another. He abolished the law. That is to say, he got rid of the law as a means by which to relate to God because in his body, he takes the law's punishment for sin. You can see that in verses 14 and 15. Christ has made us one with each other and with God. He spiritually knocks down the walls that separate Gentiles from full fellowship. I mean, remember what was torn down when Christ died. If you look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, we're told that the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and that means that access to God, access to the holy of holies, is now open to everyone. Christ has made a new humanity. As Galatians 3, 28 says, there is no longer Jew and Gentile, nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free. There is a, an entirely new humanity. Christ has reconciled us to God. He is the peacemaker between man and God. The war is over. In Christ, all who believe are reconciled to him. Christ gives access to the same spirit. We all partake of the same God now. And by doing this, yes, God makes enemies into friends. So then you are no longer strangers, but citizens. Notice the the sort of, um, you'll notice the build here. First, you know, citizen is sort of, yes, there's a bond as citizen, right? I mean, you can find this. This is the so then part in verses 19 through 22. I mean, there is a unity as, you know, like most I would assume are who are watching this, though not all, may be uh, citizens of the United States of America. And there's, there is a sense of community there. There's a sense of bond. But it's a fairly distant bond. I mean, you know, you can be very, very, very different and very distinct on all sorts of other things as we see in our politics right now, and yet still be citizens. 
But nonetheless, it's a very important category. And that's one of the words that Paul uses to describe both Gentiles and Jewish people. They're both citizens of the kingdom. And it's important to recognize the, uh, the significance of, a citizen, of citizenship in Rome. I mean, it really can't be overstated. Uh, often it could mean the difference between life and death. We even see examples of that in the book of Acts, where Paul is able to escape from uh, harsh imprisonment because of his citizenship as a Roman. Well, we are now citizens of God's kingdom, Gentile and Jew alike. We are members of God's house. So now we're not, we're not just citizens, but now we're brought, there's a family dynamic. We're members of the royal line. Another way of saying that we're, we're family members, both Jews and Gentiles together, built on the same foundation. You want to know why enemies can become friends in Jesus's kingdom, in Jesus's church, why people that are so, so, so different can find commonality? Because we all start off on the exact same foundation. Jesus is the one who brings true equality to the world. Why? Because Christianity teaches that not one of us stands on a higher ground because every single one of us is a sinner. There's no one that doesn't start off the same way, and every single one of us needs to be saved 100% by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the old phrase that uh, the most level ground is at the foot of the cross. So I have an interesting story. I may have shared this with you before, but it's a great story. I remember it as just a great illustration of God uniting different people I was walking around Santa Monica. I used to, I'm from LA area originally before I moved out to the New York area. Um, and I was out with a couple of friends and they were from our church, uh, from my church. We were young adults. Uh, one of them was a very nicely dressed, um, you know, very kind of clean cut uh, Italian friend of mine. One of them was a Mexican friend of mine and he was really kind of into hip hop culture and he wore sort of hip hop style clothing at the time, you know, which was at that time, it was, you know, quite baggy and, um, you know, definitely looked very distinct from my Italian friend. And then there was me who looked like, you know, kind of a bum. I mean, I was, you know, for lack of a better term, I kind of dressed like a, a surfer, even though I was terrible at surfing. But so I, I just kind of looked like a bum. And so we're walking around Third Street Promenade. And if you've ever been there, you know that it's just packed with people, and there is quite a few people. There is a good number, a good chance you're going to see a street preacher there. And we're walking by a street preacher, and he's got a couple people standing near him who are handing out tracts. And one of the guys uh, is just handing out tracts, not thinking, and he hands one to us. And then he stops, and he looks at us, and he sees me, this, like, bummy-looking white kid, my Mexican friend who's dressed in hip-hop clothes, and then my Italian friend who is very sharply dressed, and he says, wait, 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 wait. You guys are Christians. There's no way you all hanging out unless you're not Christians. Give those back to me. <laughs> and it was just a perfect picture that, you know, there was a recognition that our differences would, there's only one thing that could seem to bring all of us so different from different strands of life together. And that indeed is the goal of the kingdom of God, that not only would you make different people into one family, but that you could even make enemies into one family. Uh, that's 
And that's really, I mean, when we think about our world today, especially, you know, we're on the 17th anniversary of, of 9-11 today, and there's wounds, especially out here on the East Coast, that are very fresh for people. And it's very easy to be consumed by our enemies, very easy to be consumed by, um, by a desire for vengeance, because there is, there is a sense in which we, I mean, we want justice, and there's a sense in which that can be good. But God's kingdom, uh, God's kingdom comes by making enemies into friends so that each one of us together can become a dwelling place for God. And so it can happen and it will happen one day where God will indeed bring people from every strand of life, every walk of life, people that you couldn't even fathom loving each other or caring for each other. He will bring them together. And one day we will be the eternal uh, place. We will be in the eternal dwelling place of God, where we will worship him forever and thank him for his grace that met each one of us on the same level ground before his cross. So I hope that encourages you today. He himself is our peace. He has made enemies into friends, and we still today are the recipients of those blessings. Have a great week. We will see you next Tuesday. God bless.